Hi, this is Pasha Roberts, director of Silver Circle Movie, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Exterminate! Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! Wrong! It's September and October here, and if you're wondering why it is, it's TalkCast 103 on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in Area 51 at the sub-level 21, Rally Monkey in the Occupy Area 51 protest, I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight in the Revere Time Vortex, it's our work-from-home technician and cat masseuse, our very own puzzle maker, Kriana. Cat masseuse is dripping blood today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and from her stacks in the personal silent zone of the dank dungeon reading room, she's quiet, but she's here. Zombrarian. Hello, Dome! <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I think we got her fixed, and she's happy now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um... We repaired her system. Her reproductive tract is fully functional, if you know what I mean. Oh, my. From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, the man with the pencils and crayons and pens, the man with the nimble fingers, Mr. Burnt Sienna himself. It's Illustrator X. Take the prisoner downstairs, he said condescendingly. Oh my god. Just kill me now. (laughs) This show already got off to a bad start. We're missing tonight the lovely ingenue who knows all the words to Monster Mash after spray painting them on the municipal garage. Our own Rosie the Riveter in spandex and leather is not with us tonight, and we're missing her very much. Dead Redhead, our thoughts are with you, and uh, we'll see you back next week. But from Outpost Gallifrey at the Nymphomaniac Catch and Release Center, underneath the bleachers of the cheap seats of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it's our very own Juan Pablo Montoya lookalike, Captain Segway himself, awake by Java. I found some popcorn. Don't, Dome, I think you need to get a little less excited. You may have an <laughs> aneurysm on the show. I can't, I can't but I, it was, it was he spends, good... he sp- Here's the thing. Dome spends all week working on these, these introductions, and, and he just gets so worked up about them that he, he can't contain himself. You noticed that, did you? <laughs> Tonight, we welcome filmmakers Jess and Jeff Finn, a docufologist whom we met at the Exeter UFO conference in, uh, when was that, in August? Yeah, no, that was the first weekend of September. Ah, the first weekend of September. Jess, Jeff, how are you? Hi. Hey, good, how are you doing? Well, well, <laughs> as you can see, we're off to one of our rip-roaring starts here. And, uh, <laughs> you're welcome to join in the merriment and fun for the first half hour of the show, and in the second half hour of the show... We're going to be talking about the film that we did see at the Exeter UFO conference, Strange September's. A very interesting documentary concerning the Exeter UFO phenomenon. And for those of you around the rest of the country and the world, it's Exeter, New Hampshire. Yes. In any case, we'll start off this week's show as we start off every week's show with this week's Facebook poll. Oh, and uh, the Facebook poll this week was uh, the most poorly received one so far. Yeah, that's because it was my idea. Thank you very much. Yeah, no kidding. That's probably true. Yeah. It is true. That's absolutely true. So the topic this week was, what is the coolest real science theory or discovery to start from a science fiction story, novel, or visual media? And the winner was the internet, which had been thought up by Mark Twain, of all people. I don't remember that in Huck Finn, but that one with a resounding two votes. Uh, <laughs> Illustrator X, you know he wrote more than one book, right? And uh, I do. I own several. Okay, just just check it. He, he owns all three of them. <laughs> oh, my God. All three of them. Honest to God. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, but the Tying for second was uh, Skype, as as thought up by Isaac Asimov. Moon Travel, H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. The iPad from Star Trek. Invisibility Cloaks from J.K. Rowling. 
and the Multiverse by Heinlein, Asimov, Bradbury, and some other people we've never heard of. Um, do those actually count, really? The Multiverse? The Multiverse and Invisibility Cloaks, which as far as I know don't yet exist either. Hey, there's such thing as an Invisibility Cloak. No, 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 no. It only works on ultraviolet frequencies. (laughs) (laughs) On subatomic particles underwater. And only in one direction. So. When you're not looking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maybe sometimes it actually. You know what's really interesting about this, though, is that um, at GDC this year, which is the Game Developers Conference, um, one of the keynote speakers was Neil Stevenson. And you. You know, you may know of Neil Stevenson from from his book Snow Crash, and you know he he was saying he said something really interesting. It's definitely a quotable uh, uh, piece of text. He said, "Gold farming, which is where people go into games and, and get lots of gold in the, that game's currency and then sell it in the real world." He said, "Gold form- farming is one of those things that make you want to quit writing science fiction because you could never think up something that weird." Yeah, you can't make this shit up. Yeah, and, and that's, that's and that's really part. interesting coming from Neil Stevenson, you know, because he's he's imagined so many things that have co- become reality in the, especially yeah. concerning gaming, in the in the last twenty years. So. Hmm. That, that is kind of weird and, and odd, but well, you know, it, it's true from the standpoint that, you know, as you know, the weirdest the world is not only stranger than we imagine, but stranger than we can imagine. So that, you know, as as weird as going back and, and realizing, you know, it was funny because I was I was sitting, that's how I realized, you know, Caves of Steel, Skype. Man, that was it. The, the whole the whole process of, of individuals becoming so isolated from each other was because of, of video talk conferencing and isolation of, of the society uh, via the computer. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's kind of what we're freaking doing right now. Actually, Not really. I, I can In what way? <laughs> Nobody's more isolated. Everyone's more connected. Exactly. I think that people have become more connected because... Okay, so maybe maybe baby boomers, who oh, yeah. are kind of, <laughs> I dare I say, old, are taking the technology that way. But I think the, the people with the more malleable brains and ability to adapt it all are using it to stay more connected. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking of things that are I, utterly weird and strange and, and, and boggle the mind, Wait a minute. Hit the cue. No. A man who had <laughs> extensive plastic surgery to remem- resemble Superman. X, what is this about? Yeah, uh, yeah there's a guy... There's some guy out in Spain who, since 1995 has had his body com- worked on over and over again so that he looks like Superman. And if you follow the link, he, uh, oh dear. <laughs> he does not look good. Kind of looks like Bizarro. Yeah, ooh. Doesn't he? Seriously? Yeah. I mean, Maybe that's what he was going for. He may have been, I'm pretty sure it was an unintended consequence, but oh my goodness. You think he's in the uncanny valley? (laughs) I, uh, all I know is that there are fans and then there are fans. And speaking of fans, we have a fan (laughs) sitting here tonight who is going to squeal with joy at the news that CW shows are coming onto Netflix October 15th, which means... Oh no! 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 Vampire Diaries? Vampire Diaries? I just say that the plastic surgery guy looks nothing like Tom Welling. You know, and it 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 includes this CW shows deal includes great shows too, like um, Supernatural. Yeah, I love Supernatural. You know, a new one that I've been watching that just in the last episode got good, which is Secret Circle. Oh! Oh! Is it good now? Well, it, that episode was good. <laughs> oh, I wanted. I was. I kept meaning to watch it, and I never got around to it. And then I was kind of underwhelmed. But if you think it's good, or that episode at least, the last one made it because all of a sudden there are demons. Oh, interesting. Which makes it, it a lot more. Interesting. I anyway, it was. Has, has anybody caught the Sarah Michelle Geller show? No, and not planning to. Oh, I, you Wait. know what? I talked to somebody who had seen it, and they said it was utter shit. 
Yeah, I've, uh, it's been universally panned in my circle of friends. Even though Amber was on it. <laughs> and, and you know what the weird thing is? It just got picked up for a full... It got picked up for a back nine. It's well, really- gee, it's not that weird. She's fucking hot. Well, yeah, but I mean... Really? How does that really? carry it? How does that carry it? That's in no way. I mean, Eliza Dushku couldn't oh. carry it that way. Hey, Eliza Dushku carried a lot of things. I know why. I know why it got picked up. They're like, Joss Whedon isn't writing this, is it? He's not. Oh, here, have some money then. Wow. How many seasons wow. would you like? Wow. Hey, but it's don't not- don't Joss Whedon me because if you saw the new Avengers trailer that just hit the webs, it is freaking freaking beautiful. I can't I can't wait us- for a reprise of Thor. Uh, those those of you who know, uh, who who have the who have the self control to not watch trailers before you see a movie in the theaters, uh, don't want to hear another thing. So don't shut your face hole. No. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's all I've got to say. It's beautiful. Duh. Um. It is probably the most important movie franchise. Uh, that, that they could possibly bring to the silver screen. And they've spent the last how many years building up to it? If it sucks, oh, yeah. they are going to... The, the, Kill it is, Joss Whedon. It's not just egg on their face. It's it's supernatural... Uh, ectoplasm. You know, ectoplasm on their face. And Slimer. It could, it could seriously ruin their their plan for the rest of these these franchises. For the next the years, years, absolutely. No, no, no. The only way it can be bad is if it was called Justice League of America. <laughs> Here's my fear, though, with the Avengers, is that what's good about Joss Whedon's stuff is inevitably the storytelling and the characters. And let's face it, if we look at Thor... Shut up! Iron Thor Man was freaking as- awesome! If we look at Thor and Iron Man as examples, they're pretty movies. They've got fun special effects and big explosions, and they're fun to watch if you're drunk. But there's really no character substance and or real... Okay, okay, but you can't think of them as movies on their own. What you have to do is think of Thor as sort of an introduction to the character for the Avengers. Now we kind of get Thor... And, and stupid. Now you kind of get Thor. You know a little bit of backstory. You see where he's coming from. So that when Joss Whedon picks him up to play with, this is getting dirty. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's getting dirty. <laughs> your analogy. But the problem with Thor is wow, I don't care like, about yeah, him. Yeah, see, I don't want to know more. Exactly, uh, and I think I think that what Heather is saying is true. It's kind of like um, trying to make, uh, you know, uh, a decidedly not. Uh, deep story, deep. You know, because these these movies we've seen thus far are not deep movies. They are fun movies. They are action movies. They 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 are movies for which the action figures sell like hotcakes. But here's and, the reality: Downey himself just did an interview in the L.A. Times a couple of days back, and the basic premise of the interview was that he was as disappointed with Iron Man two as everybody else was. Yes, it made good money. Yes, it was a pretty movie, but it didn't advance the story. And well, he's absolutely right. But he, no, I they disagree. Couldn't, they couldn't uh, advance the story because they're waiting on adventure. Uh, uh, the Avengers. They're, they they have to be really careful. I mean, they just pushed um, Thor two back to November two thousand thirteen. Right. Because because they're not going to. It's not going to come out before the Avengers. And and you know it's it's just it's one of those things that. Who knows? It's such a massive undertaking. Who 2013, knows? but we'll all be dead by then. <laughs> oh, guys. You know what? You have Only to go out and buy a new Mayan calendar. Descent. You have to go out and buy a new Mayan calendar. That's all. That's all. You're, you're fine other than that. Yes. I'm... <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I just got to tell you, the whole thing, the whole franchise rests in Joss Whedon's hands right now. No pressure, far- Joss. And as far as I'm concerned, it couldn't be in a better place. Okay. Joss, we know you're listening. If yeah, you wanna, We know you love us. If you, you want to call in at any time in this episode, we'll make some time for you. Yeah, we'll, we'll put aside five minutes for you. Not a problem, Joss. Not, maybe, maybe six, but that's pushing it. Okay. 
Okay. Luckily, luckily, if if the world does end, though, we'll know what's coming because we've got um, Javier Yens, who has he, he made this fantastic movie called Frontiers, um, and he's coming out with another movie, and they just released a trailer. It's called The Divide, and the basic premise is they take he takes a bunch of people from New York, locks them in the basement of a building as they oh, wait God. for the world to end. Oh um, God! And it, wait, but it, wait, but it they, turns what? out. Yeah, so so a bunch of New Yorkers are locked in the basement of a building, and the world is ending outside of the basement of the building. Okay. And it turns out that they're not the only survivors, etc. A chain of events. People will uh. probably die. Um, and and you know the tagline of the movie is to survive the end of the world. They must first survive each other. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, On the next episode is, of Soap. <laughs> The thing is, it has some fantastic actors in it, like Michael Ben, and you know, and some other really great people involved in the project. And honestly, Jens is really, really uh, a very uh, good director. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And it's prob- one you probably haven't heard about because everybody's talking about Avengers. Well, duh. well, I mean, if what is it? They're trapped in the, in the basement, and the world ends. I mean, if this movie doesn't end with Burgess Meredith breaking his glasses, yeah, I don't exactly. care. <laughs> exactly. And, and thank you to the other four people who understood that analogy. Not a big deal. <laughs> no, no. But, but if anyway. you need something, if you need something to tide you over until all of these fantastic movies and television shows come out or hit Netflix, you can always watch American Horror Story. Yes, oh my god, yes you can. You can watch it, and you can watch it over and over again. And it's like it's like Nip Tuck meets Rose Red. That, well, uh, that's half kinda? good. With, with dead people and awesomeness. Well, since it's a horror movie. Well, okay, okay. So they took the Down syndrome child element from Rose Red. Dead, okay. and, and the creepy blood bloody Priyana, grossness because you're you're do- you're screwing up horror movie plots and you're sounding kind of dumb all right do we have it in the budget for a thesaurus <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's an online thesaurus oh. but it's part of wikipedia so it's really not all that good i don't think we have to wait for tv like you said american horror stories out now and fringe is just as good oh as gosh that. If Fringe and speaking was fantastic. of horror TV, Walking Dead is this Sunday. And Walking, and Walking Dead starts this week, yeah. Are, are we going to... I, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I started watching the Walking Dead webisodes at like 2 in the morning one night. Oh and no, what a bad idea. I don't want to talk about it. That was really, really bad it. idea. Yeah, Scared, everybody! Everybody, be quiet, cause drama is scared. Shut up! You can't watch them when it's dark out either. Yes, I, I can. Hey, you're the one who said, awesome. "Don't turn on American Horror Story; happy. it's dark out." <laughs> hey, that show is scary. People die in every episode. No, no, no! Yes. I don't want to talk about it because I'm really, I'm really kind of with with every passing day. I get a little bit more nervous about what's actually going to happen with it. And you know what else makes me nervous? The idea that Seth MacFarlane wants to stop making Family Guy and bring Star Trek back to TV. Dear that Seth MacFarlane, you are not funny anymore. Fuck you. That's only a half bad idea. Well, that's what stopping he. That's Family what he's saying. Probably not a bad idea. Oh, stopping Family Guy should have been done a while ago. Yeah, stopping like, Family Guy should have been done. I'm trying to imagine Star Trek with fart jokes. No, it's, it's not going well look, for me. Look, I'll tell you this. I mean, I'll, I'll give you this. Seth MacFarlane is a true nerd. He really is. He is not. He's not an idiot. And he, and he, I don't think that we would see Family Guy meets Star Trek. I think we should, would see a pretty a pretty worthwhile uh, Star Trek show. But I don't know. I I really don't know that it's the right time for a Star Trek show, especially with the reboot. All I all I can think of is like. You know, the first episode of Next Generation when Wesley runs onto the bridge or something, and I just see him fall, skid on his knee, and then for five minutes go, Ah! Yeah. Ah! Yeah, that's a Seth MacFarlane joke. Like, (laughs) and it just goes on that little bit too long, and then you're like, this has been a little bit too long, and then it goes on for another five minutes. Yeah, exactly, which is is great. It's that kind of uh, quirky humor. That I that I really like, um, but Family Guy died when it when it went off of 
off of the air. And then when it came back, it just wasn't as good. Same with Arrested Development and a lot of other shows like that. But here's the thing with his when he was talking about Star Trek, he said that in the 1990s when it was rebooted, when Next Gen came out, he loved that it was thoughtful and, and well-written and, you know, it's it's a, a form of science fiction that, that caused people to think about science fiction in a different way. It took the, the rough-and-tumble uh, ray guns and, um, you know, robots from the 70s and, and or 70, mostly the late 60s, early 70s, and, and, and pushed it out of the way for a very smart and very uh, poignant type of science fiction writing on television. And I really think that that's, you know, to see that happen again with a person who is as intelligent as Seth MacFarlane, you know, at the wheel, that could be really interesting. Well, but let's do like they do in I comics. I mean, let's let's give him a, a series that's like, all right, you want Star Trek? Yeah, you might be given the keys of the Ferrari in the future, but for now, bring back Manimal and we'll see how you do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Star Trek is not a Ferrari. Star Trek is that old truck that Grandpa had that has so many repairs that only 10% of it is is original. And it kind of starts sometimes and, and, and kind of doesn't start most of the time, but you love it anyway because it's something that you've grown up with. And taking that analogy to where it actually belongs, some collector comes by, buys that truck for $500 while Grandpa snickers, restores it beautifully. And turns around and says, like, for $2 million. Uh, There you go. And, and that's that, what needs to happen. And that man's name is Brennan Braga. <laughs> I, you know what I'll, I'll i'll say this i don't think that seth mcfarlane could do it but but you know joss whedon he could do it joss whedon could totally do it that's that's like that's like will wheaton coming around and saying well you know i really think i could do a good job bringing back doctor who um, and you're just like oh i'll buy the doctor he says but not a bouffant <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, no, no, not you. Please I'm sure there are some things that you could do well, but that's not it. Please not... don't, please don't mention Will Wheaton around me. Wheaton? Wheaton! <laughs> he still owes you twenty bucks. Wheaton's on the Big Bang Theory, or he was tonight, last night, tonight, on Thursday night, night. tonight. Yeah. What know, day I, is I, it? I, <laughs> Who I, are you? <laughs> I think that I think that Will Wheaton just enjoys being the person that everyone hates. Because every single time I see him, he, he's just annoying. Every time I hate You're him. You're just jealous. Well, no, he's, he's about not. as annoying as Jim Parsons, which is why he's. Okay, no, no, no. Jim Parsons is worse. Jim Parsons doesn't know what a frickin' TARDIS is. Could not identify TARDIS on site. Jim Parsons, I'm taking back your fucking Emmy. Jim Parsons never pro- professed to be a geek, though. Uh, and I'm not talking about whether or not they're good at being geeks. I'm talking about just the fact that I hate him. I mean, I, <laughs> I like... I, and and I'm, I'm usually an, an intelligent enough person that, that I can tell the difference between an actor and the character that they play on television. There is no difference on this particular one. And, and, and I really don't think there is. I, I think that Will Wheaton is exactly like he plays his characters on these shows, like in uh, Eureka and... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Big Bang Theory, because I've because I've seen him in person talking to reporters, giving interviews, etc. And I think he's exactly like that, which means that he, he's an entitled little douchebag who, <laughs> who no seriously, how do you feel? Who, who really needs who really needs to figure out that his career was over before it started. He was a child actor, and no one liked him. No Except one. Except Kriana. <laughs> I did I like him. I, if I had been, if I had been John Picard, I would have kicked that little arrogant son of a bitch off of the bridge in in two parsecs. You would have shoved him out the airlock. Come on, you know you would have. What the <laughs> heck is this kid doing on my bridge? Get off my bridge! How many times did he say that in the course of seven seasons? Enough. Oh, not nearly enough. Evidently not. Evidently not. But uh, speaking of the Enterprise. Speaking of the Enterprise, yes. Dark Horse <laughs> will publish a comic in May that has nothing to do with the Enterprise. I was going to say, how do you make <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. That came. Okay, not only did you pull that out of your ass, it came out of left field and then out of your ass. You are like the worst segue ever. 
Can I we never... can we make that award? But you know what? It does have it does have this flip book that's coming out from Dark Horse. <laughs> does have everything but Star Trek. It includes Star Wars and it includes Serenity and it includes you know all kind the death of Boba Fett and the origin of the Jedi. It's got pretty much everything. Boba Fett or Boba Fett? Boba? Boba is his <laughs> hit cousin. This is my brother Bubba, and this is my other bu- brother Bubba. <laughs> We're the pets. By the way, uh, that reminds me, um, this weekend is New York Comic Con weekend, so just a shout out to all of our friends who are there. Hey, uh, Silver Circle Films is uh, debuting tonight, aren't they? At, at, at uh, New York Con this weekend. Oh, who knew that and played their intro? Did everyone miss uh, that I played I Pasha? You did play it. <laughs> and you intended to. I totally did. <laughs> no, but best of luck to everyone out there at uh, Comic-Con. Wish we were there with you. Oh, and Sarah Richard is there as well. Sarah, we love you. And who else is there? Uh, Alright, instead of listing people who are there, let's move on to our guests. Because <laughs> that's more entertaining. Because oh, they're actually the here basically. with us. It's <laughs> really? awesome that they are. And, you know, let's not waste our time by listing names. Oh my god, so-and-so is cool! Let's list a couple of names. Let's let's list Jess and Jeff Finn from Exeter UFO Conference. Hi! Hey! Do you have any commentary on our our discussion? Do you have anything to add? Anything you've heard of recently in the news? I have a lot of things to add. I like Will Wheaton. Thank (laughs) you! That's okay, I'll still let you talk. (laughs) like a cool guy um and if he wanted to remake well never mind I, he would not be a good doctor who, though. no I, he wouldn't no he would but he's good for other things that sounded wrong too i just have to, I just have to add that, that as my as my cat heard you say that he started throwing up <laughs> i have a comment about the avengers go for I, it i think it could be the year 3012 and the Hulk will still just look like the most shitty CGI ever fathomed. It just doesn't matter. They can, like, they can perfect CGI in every And they'll never make Thor cool. Oh, I like Thor. I do like him because he's Yeah. Like he's made out of green jello. Or marshmallows. It's just something's wrong with him. I don't understand why he's the state of marshmallow guy. Thank you. Don't make me puffy. You wouldn't like me when I'm puffy. <laughs> Are you the gatekeeper? <laughs> I'm Gozor, the gatekeeper. Didn't that open this week in uh, in in uh, high def? Uh, didn't they re-release Ghostbusters this week? I was going to ask, when are they going to remake Ghostbusters? Yeah, it, I think it was this week. Well, they haven't started shooting the third film yet, but... The uh, the second film, I think it did get re-released in limited markets. This it recently or or soon will be released. The, the one that everybody's been talking about has been Lion King 3D. So, yeah. oh boy, rampant oh, attempts for the studios to make more money off. Disney's of gonna kick that horse till it's dead. Let me tell you. And guess what? It died three years ago. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's not. Did only you guys realize that reviews, Simba? But it's also making a ton of money. Did you guys re- did you guys realize that Simba was voiced by Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yes. yes. <laughs> which which happened when I was in high school at the height of his coolness. He was the Justin Bieber of his time. You weren't in high school, Kriana. You were in like elementary. Oh no, right, sorry, middle school. Middle school. Sorry, right. that's right. Pre high school phase. Prime wow. Bieberization age. I've never heard of him. You must be old. <laughs> no, honey, you're old. <laughs> anyway, the brain—it doesn't wrinkle as much as you age, X, and and you know the memories—they, <laughs> the memories—they don't just stick as well. well he he didn't remember what I just said, so. I'm gonna. They just don't stick as well in your brain. That's what you meant. Yeah. Just call me. I'm really not drunk tonight. <laughs> What's going on? Bubba Fett. Fett. <laughs> and Kriana don't have names like Illustrator X, The Dome, and Awake by Java. <laughs> <laughs> why, why this, is, 
It's our, uh, it's our gang names. We have street cred. We have to protect our, our secret identities. Yeah, we have gang tattoos too, but we can't show them to you right now. This is a family show. Just brain in a jar. As you can tell. <laughs> I want a brain yeah. in a jar tattoo. No, no, you really <laughs> don't. <laughs> Dude, let's do it next year. Yeah, the Plastic Comic-Con. San Diego Comic-Con and... <laughs> get tattoos. Get tattoos. Get tattoos. Get tattoos. Yeah! Or you can be a geek like me and get a Betty Hill Star Map tattoo. Oh, cool! That does kind of segue very nicely into what, what we're... <laughs> At the Exeter UFO Conference in September uh, was the debut of the film Strange Septembers. It is a film that centers itself on abductions and alien encounters that have taken place in Exeter, New Hampshire in the 1960s, specifically the 1961 Betty and Barney Hill abduction and the 1965 Norman Muscolero encounter. Now, let's talk a little bit about the atmosphere that surrounded the festival where you guys kind of came in as as this was the debut of your film, right? Yeah. Yep. It was the premiere. It was a pretty cool event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was really fun. I mean, I we kind of knew what to expect because we we'd been there the year before. Um, yeah, we we had gone the year before just as participants and. Um, we had a great time, and that was actually, um, I guess we kind of had, well, yeah, we were in the midst of it even then, though. We had set up our our first official uh, interview for what subsequently became the documentary, Strange Septembers. Um, we had set that interview up at the Exeter UFO Festival in 2010 when we um, interviewed Stanton Friedman, uh, uh, the Elvis of ufologists, as I call him. <laughs> I mean that as a compliment, and uh, and Kathleen uh, Martin, who is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. So we had interviewed them after the festival in 2010, and then uh, the next day following that, after meeting Thomas Muscarello, uh, the surviving younger brother of Norman Muscarello, uh, we interviewed him as well. So uh, 2010 was was great, and this year was, was even more fun. So. Yeah, we had originally conceived of the. Um of the film being just the Betty and Bar Barney Hill story, basically their abduction. But then at the festival, we met uh, Thomas Garello, and he was so cool, such a cool guy, and he gave such a great interview that we decided to make um, the movie about both cases. Let's let's actually swing back a year before last year's festival. When what were the events that got you thinking about making this movie in the first place? What yeah. what actually grabbed it for you? We had um, moved back to Boston, where I'm, I'm from originally, and I, I wanted to go up to the White Mountains because I'd gone there when I was a kid in the summers. And while we were up there, uh, Jeff was like, you know, this is where the Betty and Barney Hill thing happened. And I was like, well, you know, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, you don't know about it? And I said, no. So he, uh, he told me all about it. We drove the abduction route. Um, we... I know we watched the movie together, the, the was it 76 movie? 75. 75 movie. The one with the Still Parsons? Yeah, yeah. and uh, James Earl Jones. The UFO incident. And, uh, and yeah, it, got, it was fascinating. And, and that's kind of how, and what, how did, and then how did we actually... What, what, did you, what did you think about when you saw that movie for the first time, Jess? Well, I thought a couple things. Uh, the accents were kind of hilarious, for one. <laughs> yeah, they were. Still yes. Parsons kind of funny. <laughs> um, but I thought it was, and it was interesting. Like, A, I thought it was very chilling. And I thought it was a great movie. I thought there was a scene that I thought was really sad where she asks Barney why he married her and, and asks him if he maybe has a mental illness because she's so ugly. Why would such an attractive man want to marry her? And I was uh, horrified by that. I was like, that couldn't, did that really happen? Was the reality is, yeah, it kind of did. Really? It did? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff was taken directly from the transcripts and, and the books. It's kind of scary. Dome, unless you can cite it, don't say that it actually happened. <laughs> we can, we'll talk to Kathleen about it next week. Yeah, I did. that's something I never asked. If her. you insist. Yeah, I, I had seen the movie. Uh, it was a 1975 you know, made-for-TV movie called The UFO Incident. Very tiny, kind of 70s TV movie budget, but had a lot of heart, and the writing was fantastic. And obviously that James Earl Jones and Barney Hill, and Estelle Parsons and Betty Hill, and that was just huge. And, um, you know, the, the effects for the aliens, maybe not so much, but that's kind of endearing, now, certainly now. But I had seen this movie when I was eight years old um, on TV with my younger sister. Uh, we had a babysitter who let us stay up late and watch it. And <laughs> it, um, it just blew my mind at the time. You know, for an eight-year-old kid to see that was pretty, pretty heady stuff, I guess. And um, so that was kind of like my... You know, unofficial introduction to ufology in general, and certainly the Hill case, you know, specifically. So you flash forward all those years later, like like just said, we had moved back to the Boston area. Actually, we lived in Arlington, Massachusetts, where I guess the Hill psychiatrist lived, which was kind of interesting. And um, we were just renting there for a year, and it was during that year when I said, you know, let's make this happen, and I just started, um, you know playing Sherlock Holmes, basically, and um, going up to Exeter constantly, like every chance I had, I must have driven, I don't know how many times I burned up, what was it, 95? Yeah. 93, or whatever. 95. <laughs> and uh, just going between Arlington and Exeter and interviewing and researching, and and uh, that's just basically how the movie just kind of took shape. So originally we were just going to do kind of a YouTube thing, and it just really grew organically over, over time. So it was great. That was fun. Yeah, uh, Jeff just kept on uncovering more and more information and new people that were involved, and it just kind of, um, it got bigger and bigger, and then we hooked up with this production company, and they hooked us up with James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons to interview them, and then yeah, it was just, obviously it wasn't going to just be a YouTube thing after that. Yeah. So, so it, be it began to take shape over the time uh during that first year, and then you came to the festival last year, met yeah. with Stanton, met with Be uh, Betty, and um, Kathleen. Kathleen, I'm sorry, <laughs> Betty, wow, and start, I mean, as, as weird as the Exeter UFO Festival is every year, and last year it was the third year for it, it it's really kind of like half hype half street fair and there were all these very serious people walking around there at the same time well one of the things I like so much about it is is you know obviously you have serious people who are interested in, in the facts and, and the cases and all that but you also have people who are there just to have a good time and have a sense of humor and you know are wearing tinfoil on their heads and antennas and stuff it's, it's, it's yeah, fun and then they do stuff for kids and even pets and stuff so I think it's like I mean, it struck me as a really good balance between, you know, there's something for the hardcore researcher who's there to hear Stanton Friedman, you know, or Richard Dolan, um, Kathy Martin speak. And then, of course, you know, there's all kinds of games for kids and everything. So it seems like a, a good balance that they've struck. Uh, the festival organizer, Dean Merchant, uh, has really, really worked hard. Uh, we've gotten to know him over the last year, and he's really uh, gone out of his way to, to make the event, you know, something special. So. Yeah. So you started with the Betty Barney Hill abduction by yeah. retracing the route and by what, what was the point of retelling a story that's literally been told any number of times and as Kathy Martin will tell you has been disinformation to death. Hey, can, can I just pause right here for a second because um, outside of the New England area I'm not sure there are many people who actually know what the story is. I mean, yeah, there was a movie, but, like... Yeah, I think that's a good point, because... Um, can, can we just, like, take a minute and go through what the alleged abduction was? Sure. Absolutely. Go ahead, Dom. Oh, no. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. Oh, uh, we're just going to play hostage. No. 
You take it, Illustrator X. No. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it was, it was September 19, 1961. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill were, uh, you know, as, as they're described, an interracial couple. That's uh, always described that way. It doesn't really matter to me what, what that was either way, but it's always described that way. So. What's an interesting as far, fact as far as context, yeah, certainly in the uh, you know the context of the time, the, the early 1960s, it was the height of the you know uh, civil rights era, and uh, you know there's still racial discrimination all across you know. And they were both very involved in civil the rights. Yeah, and they, yeah, they were both. Um, Betty was a social worker. Uh, Barney worked for the the post office in uh, in Boston. Um, and uh, they're both highly highly respected, you know, in their particular fields. And uh, just in their in their lives in general. So, and you got to remember too. This is this is back in the day. You know, way back in the day. Literally fifty years now. Um, pre, you know, National Enquirer. Pre, you know, tabloid. Pre, everyone having and their brother-in-law having a blog where they can write whatever they want about everything. You know, so. Um, pre podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre podcasts. You know, the whole nine yards. So it's like back then. You know, you didn't have that whole. It just wasn't as prevalent that whole like you know I'm going to sell my story to the Inquirer. I was I was captured by a flying saucer, woo! You know, and all that stuff. And, it, and, <laughs> at, this, and at this point in, in the history of uh, UFOs, uh, any sightings of UFOs were considered to be nutcases and yeah. uh, people who who wanted to report that they had seen UFOs were discouraged by their own family uh, and discouraged by the police and discouraged by virtually everyone as to be uh, thinking that, you know, they were crazy. You're right. That was the yeah. whole thing with them, too, is they already they were already an interracial couple in the 60s. The last thing they wanted to do was, was call attention to themselves. Yeah, I mean, as, as a lot of people don't realize, I mean, uh, even people familiar with the case, uh, the former NICAP investigator, John Oswald, we interview in the film, points out that, you know, the, this couple, I mean, they tried to keep it under wraps. I mean, it's not like it happened. We haven't even told the story of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So, so basically, I, <laughs> they, were, they, were dri- they were coming back from vacation in Canada, and they were driving through the uh, White Mountains in New Hampshire, and um, they saw something in the sky go, go across the moon. Um, Barney got out of the car, looked through binoculars, and he saw... A craft with was it ten to four, thir- ten to eleven men? Uh, uh, figures. Uh, figures. Figures. Yeah. Humanoid-like people, creatures, um, in there looking down at him, and he, uh, you know, he felt weird. They they kind of were doing telepathy kind of stuff to him. He ran back to the car, freaking out. They got in the car, roared <laughs> away, um, and they at one point, and this is condensing it. At one point, they hear a series of beeps. And the next thing they know, they are 30 miles south, and it's hours later. And they get home later than they thought they did. Yeah. Had nightmares. Barney started having a lot of anxiety. They, um, they told family and friends of what happened. They, they believed they saw a UFO, but they didn't know anything that had happened to them after that. Um, so they ended up seeing a psychiatrist, Dr. Simon, who uh, hypnotized them. And under hypnosis, it was revealed that they um, were abducted by the aliens. That the aliens had stopped their car on the road, taken them on board the ship, performed experiments on them, physical examinations. Um, Betty talked to talked to them. He, Betty was a lot more open to it, I guess, than Barney. He was really upset and freaked out, understandably. And Betty was a little more. She was also upset and freaked out, but she was more interested in what was happening. And she talked to um, the, what she called the leader, who pulled out a map and showed her where they were from. And, uh, and she later drew this map under hypnosis. And it was later, after that, matched to uh, a star system, the Zeta Reticuli um, system. And uh, so, yeah, all this came out under hypnosis. Well, it's important to note, too, that their hypnosis by an absolute professional, uh, you know, hypnotherapist specializing in hypnotic regression to help soldiers in the war dealing with you know, post-traumatic stress, uh, stress syndrome in World War II. And also, Betty and Barney both underwent separate sessions. It's not like, you know, they were they were uh, 
hypnotized together at the same point. And that's what was so, you know, really freaky about it. Well, that it. and they kept it all under wraps. They didn't yeah. want anyone to know. But they're, they're two stories. They're hypnotic stories corroborated. Oh, yeah. I, I just I just want to have a point to interject here. I know that there's been a lot of stuff just lately about hypnosis being widely discredited and being extremely suggestible. And now I realize that they do have tapes of these hyp hypnoses and that perhaps it was not necessarily the doctor who suggested something at them. But it seems to me that by the time they underwent hypnosis, they already had a pretty good idea of what happened to them. And that... Actually, that's not the case, because the case was that uh, Barney was incredibly reticent to talk about it at all. And Betty, and he pretty much discouraged Betty from talking about right, it. Right, but what I'm saying is that if Betty was even talking about it around him, that could be enough to suggest him into duplicating some of the same stuff. I mean, she wouldn't even necessarily have to talk about it overtly. Your subconscious picks up stuff. I'm not saying that hypnosis is useful. I'm just saying that if, if you know, you've been watching movies about ancient Egypt and you come out like I was Cleopatra in A Second Life, well, clearly there's a case of suggestion. I'm not saying this case is as clear a case of suggestion, but I'm saying that maybe it's possible. Yeah, well, one of the things that has been surrounding this case all along is that very question of suggestion and uh, that was one of the reasons that they didn't want it to be public I think and one of the reasons that the hypnotherapist was very upset when it was actually uh, well I don't blame uh, them because yeah. I mean that doesn't do wonders for their reputation either I'm sure right, they, and they, I'm not denying that they probably had an extremely traumatic event I'm just I'm wondering if the probability of it being some teenagers pestering an interracial couple in the White Mountains versus aliens so here's a well, question well, let, me, say, let me point this out real quick I'm sorry I just want to interject it real quick again it should be noted that Dr. Benjamin Simon a lot of people assume that that this guy just kind of led them you know leading the witness kind of thing or what have you, when in fact he himself personally and professionally um, did not even believe in, in UFOs or aliens or anything like that. So if anything, he was kind of like straddling a weird line in that he was like, you know, I don't even believe what, what these people are, are putting together. Right, but in so. regards to them, um, I, I've often wondered the same thing, like what could have happened to them that did not have to do with aliens, that was so traumatic that they actually had to make up aliens performing um, medical experiments on them. And I'm thinking, what is more terrifying than aliens performing metal, uh... People doing the same thing. That's what's more terrifying. Why is people... I would think that... Why is people more terrifying? You don't find it more terrifying that people are <laughs> capable of being that cruel rather than finding some other explanation for it? Because I would find that more terrifying. Well, I find it way more terrifying that there are creatures from beyond the universe coming down to us and, you know, exactly. and that can take us... Well, maybe maybe that's your more terrifying, but it may not have been theirs. Well, you know what, I mean, guys? See, we're, we're all speaking from 2011, where we've all seen Close Encounters a million times and this and that. Like, seeing uh, creatures from, like, another planet in the dark of the White Mountains in 1961, like, if you put yourself in their shoes, if it happened, then it's absolutely mind-boggling. I think... I think you would just shit your pants if that happened, you know? We're all so used to, we're all so aliens from Hollywood movies now that I think a lot of people, if they did see an alien today, probably wouldn't freak out as, as much, you know? Right. But to think about it in the context of 1961, I think it's really vital. But are we, are we seeing that now in saying, well, how could they have seen that in 1961 with yeah. hindsight and now seeing it through the glasses of hindsight and now, oh my gosh, everything is based on this story? You know what I mean? I just find it really interesting to go back through the evidence and try to like sort of piece together what, what may have actually happened. You know, it could have been aliens. Is that sure. the most likely explanation? Probably not, but it's fun. Well, I guess in a way, though, what is a more what is a more likely explanation that they were attacked by people? Yes, absolutely. Why isn't that a more likely explanation? Because how did Betty draw the map? Why did Barney have a ring of warts around his genitals? Why did their watch watches stop? Why did they hear beeps? Why were they 
I mean, honestly, it's been so long. They're they're not around, obviously, to answer these questions anymore. And I doubt we'll ever know. It's certainly fun to think about. Um, but honestly, I do. I think when I think about it, I think what is the simplest explanation? And it's it's the weirder explanation. Yes, that aliens came down and abducted them. Abducted them. But in some ways, it's also the simpler explanation. Okay. Time out. Before we go any further, we are going to be talking to Kathleen Martin next week, and we'll be uh, going more in depth. But uh, there's a second half to Strange Septembers we haven't uh, talked about yet. Oh, right, the other encounter, which I know nothing about. So go ahead. <coughs> Talk about it. Well, the interesting Say something. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, so go. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about the Norman Moscarello sighting is all the people who were involved in it who didn't want to be involved in it. Okay, let's get another uh, synopsis. Yeah, on yeah, it. yeah. Well, uh, this one has become known as the incident at Exeter based on uh, John Fuller's book. Um, uh, and then Fuller is also the guy who wrote uh, The Interrupted Journey about the Benny Barney Hill case. So you get a lot of uh, you know overlapping right there. But um, the, the Exeter encounter, as we've come to call it, uh, it involved, as you said, Norman Muscarello. He was an 18-year-old, uh, recent high school graduate um, uh, in 1965. He was about to enter the Navy, um, and he was hitchhiking from his home in Exeter, New Hampshire. No, he's hitchhiking home to his home in Exeter. Yeah, to, to his home. Right. To his home from his girlfriend's house uh, in Amesbury, Massachusetts, which was about uh, 15 or so miles away. And it was the middle of the night, he's hitchhiking home in the, the blackness out there, and I've been out there at night, and it's still black 40, 46 years later, or what have you. And, um, and this uh, giant red glowing object came up out of the blackness and it just completely freaked him out. And um, it, it hovered over a house, almost hit a garage right there on Route 150 or Amesbury Road, as it's known. And so he, um, he jumped into the road, he got uh, a car to stop, <coughs> to the Exeter Police Station. Uh, they sent a, a police officer, Eugene Bertrand, back with him just more or less to kind of, I guess, humor him in a way, although Bertrand was uh, intrigued because he had had another sighting come in from a woman uh, uh, just, uh, you know, not even an hour before Muscarello's sighting. And uh, so they went out there to check it out, and they, you know, they didn't see anything for the longest time, and then all of a sudden it rose up behind the trees again, and then Bertrand went on record uh, as, as stating it, you, you know, was on the microphone back to the dispatcher saying, my God, I see the damn thing myself. And then a third cop, uh, David Hunt, also pulled up and he saw it as well. So you've got two highly respected local Exeter police officers uh, going on official record as stating that they, they had seen this craft. And, and not only that, but it actually, there were sightings all over the place oh, that yeah. night. There yeah. was a guy call, called in a sighting from a, a payphone. Hampton Beach payphone. Hampton Beach payphone saw it. Um, that, like the woman that Bertrand had pulled over, had consoled earlier that day, or I don't know. But, yeah. Um, her, and so anyway, it was the sheer number of people who saw it and the credibility. Well, there was something going on in the Seacoast area in 1965 and 66, there were sightings everywhere. I mean, there was just, it was crazy. Something was going on. But the, thing, the thing about this sighting that, that really, really interested me more than anything else, having read the book, The Incident in Exeter, uh, years and years and years ago, was that the sheer number of corrobor independent of each other corroborations that went on. I mean, you know, you, there's a guy sitting in, in, in the police station. He's getting calls from the seacoast, calls from up the road, this call from Muscarello. Another cop goes out, he calls back. Now, the, 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 the one cop who was sitting in the police station taking all these calls That's had right. nothing invested in this whole thing. Right. No, and someone point. That's a great Nobody point. And, and somebody pointed out. Uh, I believe Joel Brown, the Boston Globe reporter, we interview in the film. He's the one who did the last living interview with David Hunt before David Hunt passed on. Uh, I didn't get that far. He slammed the phone down on me. <laughs> but, really? Uh, yeah. And then he passed away just a few months after that. But that's wow. a, a 
story for another time, maybe. But, but um, yeah, they they pointed out that you know Brown, Joel Brown pointed out, you know there have been a million hoaxes over the years. Obviously, some very well done, uh, some not so much. But if these guys were gonna pull together and kind of pull a stunt or a huge hoax in Exeter, <laughs> you know. Is he really going to involve two well, highly? They really got lucky with the amount of people. Right, right. That, and, and is he really going to involve two cops with families and this and that? You know? And some guy in Hampton Beach. And yeah. Some woman. Yeah. On I mean, the, it just doesn't make any sense. And again, we we studied these cases for a year and a half, working on them just constantly. And you know, when you really get into the gray nuances of, of what makes up these cases, and specifically Exeter, now we're talking about, it doesn't make sense that that it would be a hoax. In, in a lot of these cases, you have a whole lot of uncorroborated or, or third-party evidence where, oh yeah, I heard from somebody else that... That's not evidence, there. that's an anecdote. That, that's an, totally anecdotal. But what occurred in this one is that, yeah, there was that there, but there were also all these other people who were there, who saw it, who had lives invested in the town that really this kind of a, a, a situation couldn't possibly do them any good and could conceivably do them, you know, a lot of harm within the community, especially to policemen. So I, I think I'm missing the point here. I don't quite understand why this is in with the Betty and Barney Hill story. Because the Betty and Barney Hill story, clearly they're claiming they were abducted by aliens. But in this story, the way I understand it from what you've just said, lots of people saw something. And understandably, okay, so something had to have happened. No one was invested in making this up. But where does the jump to aliens happen? Oh, because it was essentially a UFO that they saw. I mean, it was huge. It was silent. It was glowing red. Okay, so I, I guess what I just don't understand, and this is my uh, misunderstanding with the entire UFO community, is just because it's unidentified, why do we immediately jump to aliens? Well, it was unidentified because... Uh, officially, I mean, this thing made uh, you know the congressional record. I mean, and the the officials in the Air Force eventually had to admit, and they tried like hell to just kind of squelch it or you know explain it away or this and that. Gas. You know, this yeah. And in the end, they literally had to admit that it, on their official books, that Exeter UFO is unaccounted for and unidentified. It was not. It was not from Pease Air Force Base. Uh, in Portsmouth, and it wasn't from you know any local experimental. But you're saying, aircraft. why are we jumping to aliens? As yeah, well? exactly. Well, I get that it's yeah. unidentified, and great for them for or admitting it or covering up by admitting that they don't know what it is. Whatever. I don't know where you fall on the the you know conspiracy spectrum there, but I think that's that's one theory, right? You get into nuances, and I'm not sure how much time we have looking at the clock. But when you really get into the the gray you know the gray areas of the case. And, and the way the object moved and, you know, the, the witnesses. And this is, again, all in our film during September. You know, we interview people who were involved directly. We get their uh, take on the whole thing. So it's, it's not so easy to encapsulate um, and bring it across, you know, on a podcast. Um, no, sure. And I would encourage everyone to see your movie and gather all the evidence that they can and check it yeah, out for sure. Yeah. You know, for the record, Jess and I aren't, you know, we... <laughs> We don't have any any more answers than anyone really at the end of the proverbial day. I mean, we're like, you know, guess, we well, can't we me, can't we can't say definitively. Oh, it was this or that, and who can? Nobody can. Well, I guess people go to Alien because they figure that we don't have the technology to do a lot of, especially in the '60s, right. to do what what it was the craft was doing. I mean, hovering and not making a sound and all that. And here's here's another good point that was brought up in, during my research and investigations into the whole expert case. Even if, even if, say, it was an experimental craft from Pease Air Force Base, although Pease later admitted it was not, say it was. They might have been covering that up. Then why, why are they dive bombing the people on Amesbury Road? Yeah, that's a good question. Someone, someone really brought that up, and it made a hell of a lot of sense to me. Why would the government basically be fucking with people? <laughs> Well, no, that, that's a really valid question. That's a good point. I, I'm just, I, it's just not, it's just not, it's a good point. It's a good point that we can't explain, but it's not evidence that it was aliens, is all well, I'm saying. Well, the, the reality is, is that what, what we don't have is evidence that this is aliens. What we do have is a series of unexplained phenomena that took place between 1961 
1965 throughout the White Mountains and most of New Hampshire. Exactly. Something was going on in that area. And the Betty and Barney case is kind of, you know, the tip of the iceberg one way, and Exeter kind of bookends it on the other side four years later, almost to the day. Huh. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, a, yeah, the Betty and Barney Hill thing is where everybody hangs their hat and goes, oh, well, this couldn't possibly have happened, or, oh, well, look at what happened, or I wonder what happened. Another I mean, that, thing about that's the, the beauty of what your film does. It doesn't actually come out and smack you in the face and go, here's what it was. Here's, here's the <laughs> definitive answer. Well, and I can respect that a lot, of, a lot more than the, you know, tinfoil hat people who are like, aliens landed. Oh, please. Well, again, we can't say anything definitively because we weren't there, you know. But, well, sure. But um, I will say this, you know, if you see the film, we certainly appreciate it <laughs> um, after working on it so long. And, um, and you know, we're proud of, of what we put out there. And, but I will say this, um, when you get to the end of the film, the very end, uh, there's kind of a little almost like a second ending there, if you will, and yep. uh, it's very intriguing. I won't give it away as, you know, a ha-ha. No spoilers! Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but something very uh, heavy and significant, uh, two, two things actually kind of came down right at the end of production as we were um, finishing up the film, and it kind of just threw a, a twin set of wrenches into the the machinery and really, you know, blew some minds. So, you know, you make of right. it what you will, but it's in there at the end of the film, uh, kind of an addendum, as it were. So. Wow. So this has been two years of your life. Yes. Where years. can we find it? StrangeSeptembers.com <laughs> Yeah, it's all one word, Strange Septembers, with an S on the end, dot uh, com. And, uh, and there will be a link on the website and on the podcast directly to that. We encourage those of you who feel strongly one way or the other way to take a look at what we've got here. Um, one of the things that has always bothered me about skeptics and UFO people is their inability to listen to each other. Everybody knows the answer already. Are you about to rip on me, Dome? Are you about to rip on me, really? Because I think I did a pretty good job here. Uh, No, I'm not going to rip on you at all. Uh, Okay, well then I know who you're talking about. This is what happens when we have a scientist on the staff. No. no, Okay, look, look, look. I didn't call anyone nuts. I was very... And, you know, I don't think they're nuts at all. I I think that these are two very interesting stories and that... um, their work is really valuable in preserving sort of accounts of what happened and so that people down the line maybe you know in 50 years things could be uncovered that could shed more light and this will be invaluable to figuring out what actually happened that's that's exactly exactly that's exactly why ultimately jess and i made the movie Uh, we have a young daughter who's almost two years old and she just has been literally growing up with us as we've been making the movie and um, that's its own story. But, um, you know, we, we, we really thought about it. And we're like, you know, if these two cases, the two biggest cases in New Hampshire UFO history, if they really happen, even if one of them really happened, I mean, we're talking about, you know, again, with all our conditioning to UFOs and aliens through Hollywood and this and that, you know, but if, if, it really, if they really happened, we're talking about... And the, they were aliens. Yeah, an alien. We're talking about the two biggest cases of, like, our, our lifetimes, you know, and, and we really wanted to see... But what do these cases tell us about our past, our present, and possibly our future? If, if our daughter lives to be 100, she very well could be, you know... Uh, Bob-nobbing with aliens. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe there'll be a, a human-alien uh, coexistence at that point. Maybe not. Breeding program! <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, we really needed to end on that. Yeah, we did, you know it. Jeff, <laughs> uh, it was a real pleasure meeting you last month. It was a real pleasure seeing having you on the show with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining oh, us. Thank oh, thanks you guys for so having much. us. We appreciate it. And keep us posted if you decide to have other film endeavors in the future. Well, absolutely. Yes. Thanks again, you guys. No, All thank right. you. Get and stay on the line. Right. Stay with us for a second. <laughs> X. Do we get prizes? Do we get prizes? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you're good. Starting <laughs> gift. 
So Kriana, Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was thinking really hard. Wow, I wow, I, I smell the smoke from here. <laughs> okay. Okay, next week, Kathleen Martin sets the record straight about her aunt and uncle, UFO contactees Betty and Barney Hill. Then on October 29th, Mike Dougherty of Brown Coast Redemption announces his latest greatest project. And on November 5th, Comic Art House's Bob Shaw gives us a sneak preview of the guest list for Boston Comic Con 2012. <laughs> also, for our friends of the brain jar, on October 30th, see Sturdy Steve Bissett host Saturday Fright Special Spooktacular at the Colonial Theater in Keene, New Hampshire. And on November 6th, meet Buck Rogers, Captain Marvel, and all your favorite heroes at the South Coast Toy and Comic Show in fabulous Fairhaven, Mass. And, and Brown Coast. Dome, he'll be there somewhere. The Dome will be... Spot the Dome. <laughs> Where's Waldo? Brown Coats Unite! <laughs> this month, track down a copy of the Halloween anthology Every Which Way But Wicked. All proceeds going to Nathan Fillion's charity Kids Need to Read. Yeah, Rocco, I'm here for you, baby. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Zanoys. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Dome? From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana and Grammar Girl... And Zombrarian, thank you girls for all that you do for us. I have to take my retractable fangs out now. <laughs> From the Four Color Vault of Comics, thank you Illustrator X, Dead Redhead, we're thinking of you, honey. Uh, I've got a message from the Dead Redhead. Never pick the Facebook poll topic again. <laughs> <laughs> from Outpost Gallifrey, checking out the strippers at the uh, Burlesque-a-thon by Java. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Get off my bridge!